Hello, this is Ken Ferry with this week's Boots in the Field report. Good to be back. Man, did this corn really jump the week we were gone. Our earliest corn pushing tassels, the rest of it probably anywhere from seven to six leaf from tassel. I think all areas have uh, received substantial rain, even here at Hayworth. Uh, so that was a, a really a good relief. Maybe I should have left earlier. Um, we did everything we could to help our Canadian neighbors out with their walleye outbreak. They think they can handle the rest of the uh, season by themselves, but they said they wouldn't turn down any more help. If you guys want to send up some of your pest boss or pest boss team, they would welcome. So, Speaking of pest boss and his team, now is the time to get busy here uh, in Illinois. Rootworm or feeding on the crown roots so you can start your rootworm floats. Remember those where we put two cups of salt in a half gallon, half a five gallon bucket of water. You're gonna dig up that plant. You're gonna take a seven inch cube around the base of that plant, seven inches deep, and you're gonna submerge all that soil and the root system into that salt water and work it uh, until you finally wash all the soil off of the root system and break up all the um, aggregates of soil. Of course, uh, looking for damage and looking for larva. Now the salt, the purpose for the salt, of course, is to get them to float so they come to the surface and you can find them easy enough. But uh, we want to look for damage, take pictures of that damage, and count the amount of rootworm so that can be recorded in your pest books. Question may be, well, Ferry, why do we need to do the floats? We don't have a rescue if we got a problem anyway. Well, this is true. But I get asked, uh, a lot of times every year, should I put insecticide on my non-traded corn? Of course, my response is, is what is your pressure like? What are you seeing? Well, this is the time when we start to identify that pressure by looking at how many larvae we're dealing with and by looking at the damage on that root system. Once the system's been damaged and we get a lot of regrowth after the season, it's harder to identify this. So that's the time you're going to go out there and look for the damage and look for the live larvae. And if we go from one in a float to three in a float to six in a float, this gives us some indication of when we need to start uh, putting insecticide on our traded corn, especially in the corn soybean rotation that we deal with here. If you have eight or more larvae per plant in a float, you're going to have down corn. Now I realize we don't have a lot of options to fix this problem, so what can I do about it? But you might change some of your strategies such as an earlier harvest to deal with it, or you may now start to find somebody or locate a pickup reel to be able to pick up this down corn. Our goal though is to catch these fields before we get to that kind of pressure. So that's what doing some floats, spot checking some of these non-traded corn fields and seeing what kind of pressure we got and whether we can uh, use crop rotation uh, still as our way to control the rootworm. Remember, uh, we had most of our trouble in rotated corn before the rootworm events came out. And that's what we're seeing is a buildup in this first year corn rootworm issue again as we move away from the trait. And we want to stay ahead of this before we have down corn. Now, if you find a field with six to eight larvae in those floats and they're still doing damage, I'd like to know about it because I would like to try a rescue with some Y-drops in one of these fields challenge would be lining up machinery and making this all work together but if you find one of those fields that would be a candidate let me know at the same time you're doing your rootworm floats don't forget to look for first generation corn borer damage 
in some areas, the corn borer flight was noticeably higher. Again, a sign that this pest is responding to the amount of non-traded corn that's being planted in some communities now. Start also watching for disease pressure in that corn. Uh, as far as what I've seen out there, we're seeing the gray leaf on the lower leaves starting to show up. So we need to put this in our field notes to help us um, put together a disease prevention as uh, the season goes on. So again, when we're talking about disease, now is the time to be looking again for the warm, wet diseases and gray leaf and antracnose are two that we deal with. Uh, and make sure you know the susceptibility of your hybrids. So uh, we look at uh, GLS. What's the susceptibility of it? So I'm going to look at my most susceptible hybrids. They're going to be first on the list. And then, of course, my corn on corn is going to carry more pressure, especially in strip till, no-till, that type of situation. If we have this weather pattern continuing where we're getting lots of moisture and we roll into pollination, uh, of course, then we're probably going to deal with some diplody issues and things like that as well. But many areas uh, are the point right now where um, we can just start to get the precursor of, is this going to be a problem? Is the disease there and is it building? Last year at this time, we had very little gray leaf in most fields. That's going to be different this year with the kind of humidity that we're dealing with now. Many areas are at the point where I think we can make a good run at pollination with the amount of water that is in our soil supply right now. Other areas are going to need some more water to get us through it, especially when we're sitting out here five, six, seven leaves from pollination, and we're burning up about an inch and three quarter, two inches of water a week uh, in this process. But we're getting a lot of fields that are in that spot where we say they're locked and loaded to get them through the pollination. If we can just keep the heat away so we don't end up with that real... Uh, repressive heat situation. So it looks a lot better than it just did 10 days ago for about a third of the state when we wondered how we would get through pollination without some relief. So while it is nice to see the rain uh, out there, we do have a lot of nitrates coming in for the wide drop season, if you want to call it that. We definitely can see the areas with the higher amounts of rain. So they're showing up with nitrate loss. So that's something to keep in mind as you uh, out there doing your scouting and looking around especially in these areas where we see these three four and five inch rains is what kind of losses even if you got your side dressing done what kind of losses may you be experiencing there so spot checking some nitrates wouldn't be a bad idea the samplings that are coming in from the extremely wet areas for instance of northern iowa uh, they're a train wreck uh, it explains why there's so much yellow corn up there um, there can be yellow corn with good nitrates but we're out of oxygen. But when you're out of nitrates and oxygen, that can really put the brakes on ear development. And definitely you can see that between tie lines where the corner is really starting to, to show the stress out there. So we want to stay on top of that as well. We can use nitrates to kind of help guide us as far as how hard, how fast we should come back in there. Moving to beans, uh, the moisture coupled with the warm temperatures means the pest boss need to be shifting and looking for your warm, humid diseases, such as your septoria brown spot, your frog eye, your anthracnose, and probably more important, Rhizoctonia phytophthora. Most of the dead beans that I have looked at uh, is a result of Rhizoctonia root rot. So most of the visible damage is going to be at the ground line and below. We're talking about a root rot, not a seedling blight. So while seed treatments uh, help us get through the seedling blight, they can't hang on long enough to get us through the root rot stage. Uh, 
Nobody likes to see dead beans, but it's better that they're dying now than later at R4 or R5. Because as beans die now, the neighboring beans will bush out and make up that difference. Even if it's a section of a row missing, the neighboring rows will uh, fill in with a heavier pod count. This is one of the reasons why in our wheel track studies that we've been doing over time, that spring and earlier or this time of the year has a little effect on yield in the wheel track because the neighboring beans compensate. Compared to late spring, when we're out there trying to rescue a herbicide, that type of thing, um, when we're knocking beans down at R5, there is no time to recoup from that. Visited a number of fields uh, this week and got a number of calls in as well about yellow beans and when will my yellow beans turn back green? Well, in most cases, it needs to stop raining long enough for the soil to build back up some acidity. But if we can get some acidity back, and you can tell some of this acidity as, as some of these fields when you see the yellow chlorotic beans with green wheel tracks through them. When you go out there and you spade in those fields, you can feel the difference in bulk density. That tighter soil tends to lead to less infiltration and the ability to build a little more acidity. So it shows up in these green streaks. And sometimes they're across the rows, sometimes they're with the rows, so give you an intermittent yellowing and green throughout the field. Here too, though, if we can get these back green before we get heavy into pod set and development, you'll be surprised uh, how much they recover. Now, if they turn yellow on us in that R3 to R5 range, that gets very expensive. Right now, we can stand some of this. We just need to get them back green. One thing to note about these iron corrosive yellow beans is uh, these are areas where the field is telling us that we have a calcareic subsoil. If we haven't already identified those by a soil test, let's get some pictures of these fields from the air to document where those high pH boundaries or veins are in the field. Soil health imagery, NDVI, they do a good job of helping us pick it out when we get this kind of um, color change out in the field. And actually because of the stunting causing shorter beans in the chlorotic areas, drone imagery can pick it up too, especially if you can catch that window when the good beans are closing the row and the stunted beans are still at the row open. It's another place to catch it. Bottom line though, if we don't already have them zoned out on your soil test maps, now's the time to get a more accurate boundary or zone line. So let's collect that data while the field is talking to us and make sure that we can map it out. Uh, in this case, we can map it out almost to the foot. So don't miss that opportunity. Another thing about these yellow beans, they're indicating high pH. And what I'm finding in a number of fields is not only do we have iron corrosis, but we have atrazine carryover from the previous year. And we can see it in the lap zones, the corners, that type, and you see it out in the field as far as the atrazine is part of the problem along with the pH issues within the field. So if you're dealing with iron chlorosis of much size in any of these fields, my advice is going to be take atrazine out of your corn program because it's got the potential to carry over and ding the beans the next year. Sometimes you can't see it, sometimes you can, but I would make it a point to pull that out. This week I visited a lot of bean fields with cupped leaves. Uh, a number of you have also sent in pictures of your cupped leaves like in the past. Some look to be drift, some we know are sprayer contamination, looks like some volatility, some are also surfactant issues. One thing is for sure, the farmer temperament is much different this year than it was last year. 
And I assume the majority of that is because last year, the majority of the fields uh, that were puckered had a little effect on yield. Matter of fact, here, the ones that we worked with, we had more positive results than we have neutral. Leading to one grower to ask, he said his puckered beans last year yielded more than his non-puckered beans and wondered, is there a rate that you could add to the tank so he could replicate the same thing this year on his Liberty beans? The answer is no, no, no. I hope I wasn't clear with that answer. Uh, just, just leave things well enough alone. A number of fields, I can see neighbors are trying to protect neighbors and they're staying back from the edges. That's a good thing to see in stewardship, but some of these edges are solid water hemp, guys. So let's not let them go to seed or we're going to create a problem for both farms. So maybe it's time to break out the row crop cultivator and lap some of these fields and clean that up. Yeah, I like the stewardship, but at the same time, we can't let four rows of water hemp go to seed uh, and create a problem for both uh, parcels. As we approach pollination on this core, um, nobody should get caught sleeping. So as you're out there scouting now, you're pulling whirls, you're unwrapping those whirls, you're looking for aphids. At the same time, you're counting those leaves. So we're clipping along at about a new leaf every three days. So you should be able to calculate when that tassel is going to come out and when pollination is going to start. We don't want to get caught with a wax tassel from the aphids. We sure don't want to get anything with silk clipping. So meaning someone needs to be present when this thing's going to pollinate or start pollinating uh, to make sure that we don't have any interference. So as we look at summer schedules and what's going on, you can go out there now and within one day or so predict when those tassels are coming out and we need to do that so we know who's on deck when this takes place. Poor pollination due to rootworm, beetle, aphids, Japanese beetle uh, will lead to the pest boss getting uh, a bad grade. Okay? Can't give out an attaboy for good roots when there's no ear on the plant. So let's not miss the most important part of the corn plant's life right now. Get it pollinated. So our testing crews are battling the rains. Uh, trying to find areas where they can go. They're getting ra rained out on one end of the county, moving to the other end. This leads to a lot of calling around, trying to find dry ground. We appreciate your patience and your help as we ping pong around through these rain events. Here at the Corn College site, things are going along good. The guys did have to irrigate up one of our last bean plantings um, while I was gone, but we've had three inches of rain since then, so things really look good. Um, we have applied for 13 and a half CEU credits for the two-day Farm Journal Corn Soybean College coming up July 24th and 25th. So if you want to see a more detailed agenda, don't forget to check out the website. To stay up to date, check out our website at croptechinc.com and subscribe to our podcast, Boots in the Field Report. Keep her safe, keep her moving.